Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome back to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. Be sure to join us at storycraft.cafe for live events, writing groups, and the best community of writers on the internet. If you joined us yesterday, then you know that we're talking with Michael LeBron, author of more than 80 books. Today, we go deep on character development. Michael talks about his focus on sci-fi and fantasy and his new focus on urban fantasy specifically. We talk about starting with characters and tropes that readers are familiar with, then adding a twist that will make people continue thinking about your book long after they close the back cover. What is the central conflict in all of Michael's stories? Find out in today's episode. Michael, I'd like to shift gears for just uh, uh, a little bit here. We, we've we talked about the all of the different types of stories that, that you like to tell. Um, like I mentioned, you focus on fantasy, urban fantasy, science fiction. Um, and one of the things that really makes your work stand apart from from other works is your focus on character. And one thing that I love about your books is that you you tend to create characters that I can relate directly to that that I feel like that I could know, even if I if I don't know them, they they feel like someone that could just walk into my life and then they they wind up doing just extraordinary things uh, for for whatever reason. Um, How do you look at character development? Well, how do you look at character? First off, what what when 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 you're at that moment of creation where nothing about this book exists um, and then a, a character walks onto the stage of your mind or, or or however that happens, what what is that birth process like for a character? Yeah, for me, I think the most important thing that I've done or at least have tried to do consistently throughout my fiction portfolio is start with a character that you can explain very simply in a high concept way that is unique. So I'm, I'm just finishing up a series. It's called the Chicago Rat Shifter. And when you think about shifters, you think about werewolves and bears and lions and tigers. What if there was a shifter that was a rat? What would that be like? <laughs> kind of get the short end of the stick, right? right? And so it's about this character who gets turned into a rat against his will. And he uses that power to save the city and shows you that the the best, the best heroes sometimes come in small packages. So I like to try to start there. And that's how I started. That's, that's a concept that I had before I even started writing the novel. Didn't know it was going to happen. Um, I have another series it's called The Last Dragon Lord. That is about a bloodthirsty, narcissistic dragon lord who wants to, over, wants to get revenge against the conspiracy that overthrew him. And I described the main character in that story as one part Richard III, one part Smog from Lord of the Rings, and one part Francis Underwood from House of Cards. All right. So try to I, I try to start there with something yeah. simple that you can convey very easily to a reader. And then if it because the way I see it is if, if you can do that, that's how the reader is going to convey your book to their friends 
when they want to talk about it. And so that's, that's my main approach. I always start there. Do, do you, um, is it a natural thing to think about characters in a way that you could subvert expectations, like a shifter that becomes a rat? Nobody, nobody's expecting that, uh, you know, or this dragon Lord who, uh, is is coming at the story from the opposite point of view that you might expect to um, to, to subverting expectations. Is that part of thinking about it? You know, how can I do this, but in a way that that they're not going to expect? Yeah, in a way I, I, that comes naturally to me. I, I never really think too hard about, OK, I want this character to subvert this trope. You know, yeah. it, ju- it just kind of happens, you know, um, like I happen to like necromancers as a trope. And they're always evil. So it's like, well, right. what, wouldn't it be fun if there was a necromancer who was good? And then, okay, what would have to, ha- what would have to happen for somebody to do that? Like, what, what are the circumstances in someone's life that would cause them to be a, a, a good necromancer? So I, I like to start with what if questions. I, and, and if you start with that, I, I find that that leads me to where I ultimately need to be. But yeah, I do have a knack for that. How, um, how much do you like to get to know your character before starting to to draft the book? Are there any exercises that you go through to, to kind of understand this character or do you just begin writing and just discover them as, as you write it? I know very little about my characters and I, I don't spend a whole lot of time trying to get to know them. The reason for that for me is I like to start with the idea of, basically like what's the first frame of the story meaning you have a hero in a setting with a problem that's all i know so i I know that there's going to be a character like this last novel i wrote a character in this paranormal nightclub trying to get an audience with the boss who is extremely enigmatic that's the only thing i know i don't know anything else and i find it's just me i find that when i don't know that i get to know the character as i go along and the reader gets to know the character as they go along and it's kind of a fun experience for both of us and if i don't know what's going to happen then the reader's definitely not going to (laughs) know um i'm that way a lot uh in that i i can have an idea for a story i've got really some some ideas that are just kind of turning over in my head and i just begin writing uh sometimes two or three chapters and and in the writing I discover kind of who this character is. And a lot of times I'll, I'll discover um, kind of the, the main motivation for this character or the thing will reveal itself that, that this character is really after. I might think that I know what the character is after, but it, it becomes more obvious in the writing. Um, Do, do characters for you um, sort of define the plot? Yeah. My, my, my stories are always character driven. There's there's always a character conflict in the center of the story, because for me, I think that's why readers primarily read. So the novel I'm writing now, it's a story about a brother who's trying to save his sister from being infested with a demon. And so the, the story is really about the relationship between those two and what he would do to help her, even if that means resorting to the dark side to do it. And I center the story around that. and. Yeah, I think character character is ultimately why people read and it's ultimately why they buy books. So I could sit here and tell you that I, I wrote a novel about a character who navigates the seedy underbelly of Chicago. And that's interesting. 
right? But if I told you that that character happens to be someone who can turn into a rat, well, that that's a little bit more interesting. And if and if you buy that, if you buy meaning meaning you accept that premise that this yeah. is an interesting idea, and you like the character, you're not going to buy the next story because of the story. You're going to buy the next book because you like the character and because right. you want to spend time with the character and, and in the world. So I 100% believe that because if you, it, I, I look at my own preferences, like my own favorite franchises mm-hmm. over the years. And I really don't remember that much about the stories. I remember how the characters made me feel. And I think readers read that way too. I don't think I'm unique in that regard. Um, main characters aside, uh, you talk about writing stories with, with demons and necromancers. And, and we talked about the, the, the assumption that people come to uh, about necromancers. But what if I tell it this way? Um, when you're dealing with other um, tropes or um, things that that we kind of assume that people are going to understand, like when you say demon, that that brings a whole set of baggage with it. You know, the, the, the pre predetermined mm-hmm. um, characteristics about it. Um, do you. Do you tend to go with uh, let people's expectations um, kind of carry forth or do you start looking at different ways to portray every character in your story? Like like main character aside, how do you then go about casting your book with with the other characters that make up the story? That is a great question. So I, I did an exercise with one of my series a few years ago, and this was after I wrote the book. I didn't write the book with this in mind, but I yeah. wanted to see. All right. So I asked almost this exact same. I almost I asked the exact same question that you asked me to myself, which is how often am I subverting tropes? Right. And what I found is I went through one of my novels and literally and I'm not kidding. It took me like almost a week to do this. I pulled out every single trope. So I I, I made really good friends with (laughs) tbtropes.org and I found probably three or four hundred different tropes. And I put them all into an Excel sheet. And what I found was that about 80% of the time I was actually hitting that trope on the head with that, you know, expectations, you know, you hear the word demon. Okay. It's a demon, you know, right. You hear the word church. It's a church. You you hear the word bouncer. It's a bouncer. Right. And then the other 20% of the time was when I was subverting something. So like the main character, maybe one aspect with the villain, maybe a plot twist here and there. And I found that subconsciously, I'm really only doing it about 20% of the time, if that. Every other time, the other times, I'm usually right within what readers would expect. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well. And I I bet that would be true um, with my works today. So what I would just say is, I think if you try to subvert every single trope, you just come off looking silly. (laughs) Right. I mean, you can can go too far. Just like you you can also play it way too safe. And I, to me, that's that tends to be the ratio that I found works for me. And that also those those tend to be the series to do well. Well, it, it seems to me that if you try to subvert every trope and it, you're just constantly trying to throw the reader off, it's going to come across as hacky. Yeah. Like just, uh, you know, though, he's just trying really, really too hard Too hard. Sometimes just let the story be the story and, and let people go along for the ride. That being said to properly subvert a trope, you have to understand the tropes a lot of times to that's right, because you, you don't know 
um, you don't how to pro- don't know how to properly do it if you don't know what the reader expects. Um, so, uh, how do you stay um, well informed uh, of what readers will expect from your genre? Yeah, the first thing I do is I make sure that I read widely in the genre that I write, which is urban fantasy. That's the genre I've committed to right now. I've been committed to it for probably the last five years or so, and I don't see that changing. And by simply by reading as widely as possible, that's going to help you because subconsciously you're going to soak in the ideas, right? And you're going to soak in, okay, if a character goes into a warehouse in the middle of the city, that's probably likely to be abandoned might be a hideout for a gang of uh, paranormals or something like that. You know, like, like if, if you said that no one who reads urban fantasy would bat an eyelash. Right. And so you start to absorb stuff like that subconsciously. When you put a werewolf in a story, you, you tend to know what people are, what kind of connotations people are coming to the table with. Same thing with any other kind of supernatural creature. And so you start to understand that and it just comes out of your fingertips subconsciously. Cause that, that, that's the important thing is just to tell a story. Sometimes not all, not all of your tropes are going to be executed in the proper way or executed in the way that readers think, but ultimately what matters is the service to the story and the characters. And most of the time, I think people would surprise themselves. They would be very pleasantly surprised at how well they're hitting their tropes. Nice. It just happens. Um, It happens automatically. Yeah. Uh, urban fantasy, you, you mentioned, is is kind of the the genre that you've settled on uh, for the time being, at least. Um, are there certain character expectations that come with the genre? Like when someone picks up uh, a book, if it's about a, a shifter rat or uh, a, a werewolf or a necromancer, um, are there certain things that readers expect from a character when it's in urban fantasy, as opposed to maybe in high fantasy, people expect in high fantasy, people expect uh, a paladin to, to act a certain way. Do, right. do people expect certain behaviors from characters in, in urban fantasy? Yeah. The behaviors are kind of all over the place. I mean, uh, what I would say is people expect characters to have certain traits in urban fantasy. Okay. So for example, um, the ability to use magic is very common. The fact that, that, that the hero is usually some sort of paranormal type, whether it be a vampire or a werewolf or a gnome or a dwarf or whatever, you know, you, you pick your poison. There's lots of mythological creatures and paranormal creatures that a, a character can be or a wizard or a witch, you know, you name it. Right. And then also that the character has some sort of profession. So if you look at the Dresden files, which is a very, very popular urban fantasy novel that's 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 a a wizard detective right and so if you look at um other series you know you you could have a a witch who owns a bookshop right Right. so there's some sort of uh, there's there's almost like a two-part identity that goes with a lot of the main characters in urban fantasy so the readers want to know right up front what type of paranormal the character is and then also what what makes them what makes them tick one of the the most fun things about urban fantasy to me is um, the blending of real life with the fantastical. Um, and I, I always have loved the ideas of um, the thing behind the story, you know, like, like you, you watch the evening news and you see that 
that uh, a, a building collapsed. Um, and the idea that there's something behind there that that's not recognizable with the naked eye, you know, that that just I love that the idea of that, you know, your imagination just runs wild um, when when you're. When you're creating characters for your urban fantasy, do you think about how to blend uh, real mundane life with the the supernatural of the fantastical and and how do you think about blending those characters? Yeah, I think about that all the time. The, the big thing for me is I'm always asking, what what does my main character need? And that typically dictates the type of team you build around them in terms of supporting characters. It dictates the the type of villain that is going to show up for a particular novel or a particular series and the types of characters that the villain has around them. And all of that is critical. And then also, you know, the, the thing about urban fantasy is that the city is also a character. Right. That's that's a very important part. There's some urban fantasy that takes place in, in fictional places, but for the most part, it takes place in a major real city. And that's also a critical part. And just making sure that you understand the city and the history and finding things in the city that uh, people would be interested in or not know about. I think is is also critical. You, you talk about the the city or the place as character. Um, what what is it specifically like in a in a place like St. Louis, where where the good ne- necromancer takes place? What what St. Louis things do you characterize? Yeah, I mean the 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 thing that I always. <laughs> When I was growing up, I used to always roll my eyes when people would come visit to St. Louis because the first place they want to go is the arch. The arch. Yeah. (laughs) So the first thing that I thought it's the first place. So, okay, I have to set the first book in this series at the arch. (laughs) And the arch actually plays a major role in the story. I mean, without spoilers, but so you kind of have to. I mean, I I like starting there. Um, I have a series right now, like my Chicago Rat Shifter series, where it it takes place in Chicago. And Chicago just has so much interesting history. Um, yeah. there, there used to be a, a, there used to be a series of underground tunnels underneath downtown Chicago, and there would be trains that would run to, to transfer trash and transfer, um, freight and all of that underneath the city. Wow. And it was re- a really, really interesting, uh, development that was built in this built in the city in like the 1800s. Um, and that's, that's no longer asking for an urban fantasy. Series. Yeah. Asking because of those tunnels, <laughs> you, now you can't get into them and they flooded, they flooded in like the nineties and it was like a huge, uh, <laughs> a huge thing for people who live there. And it's like Chicago is one city that just has so much just amazing history. And so if you can yeah. find things like that, that that's the sort of stuff you want to find and then take that and blend it with the mundane and the paranormal and, Oh, people, people don't know that there were these underground tunnels and, in downtown Chicago. And that's kind of interesting. There's a, there's, there's another, um, uh, there's these grain silos that are in Chicago. It's called the Damon silos and they're abandoned now. And, um, it's kind of like this really kind of scary, dangerous place where people do a lot of urban exploring. And I was like, yeah. okay, what would, what would, what would it be like if I set the final battle of this story at the Damon silos and these abandoned silos, like what would happen there? And what would it look like if you were on the inside? And so it kind of becomes like this voyeurism for people like, oh, I didn't know that those were there or people who live in Chicago pass by that every day and didn't know, you know, it's like, oh, that's interesting. So like it's finding little things like that, that intrigue 
people about the city and, and, and sprinkling in just a few of those per novel. And if you do that over a series, then people start to, to associate the city and, and they really do start to see it as a character. Nice. Um, when you're, when you're writing urban fantasy, there are these character archetypes, these, these kind of high level, um, character, uh, descriptions that that you that you work with to begin with you wizard um dragon shifter werewolf you know that sort of thing um all of these are are made up fictional archetypes um yet the fandom that surrounds these can be very um uh can can be very intense about it. Um, I I made the mistake one time of talking about a story that I wanted to write about a dragon, um, and and I didn't have all of the dragon vernacular right, and people excoriated me for not talking correctly about the type of dragon that I was writing. Um, people are very passionate about um, these things. Uh, are there things that you do to um, kind of acquaint yourself with what the the standard is in fiction at the time? And then um, do you do you find ways to and, and this kind of goes back to subverting uh, reader expectations at the beginning, but talking about specific character um, traits or archetypes um, are are there places where those things are? set in stone and are there places where you have some leeway to um to shake things up a bit yeah you're you're asking um where are the land where are the landmines <laughs> how do yes. you how do you avoid the <laughs> yeah. landmines right as i'm stepping around the landmine yeah, yeah. about <laughs> landmines exactly right. <laughs> so so i would say urban fantasy tends to be pretty forgiving as long as there's magic as long as it takes place in a city as long as that magic is generally hidden from the public, although sometimes there are exceptions to that, you can get away with a lot, but you got to have paranormals in it too. Yeah. In some respect. I mean, if you, if you try to write a story with no magic and no paranormal, paranormal elements in it and try to call it an urban fantasy or a yeah, paranormal romance, fantasy. it's not yeah. going to work. It's not going to yeah. work. Right. So you gotta at least have a good ghost story in there somewhere. It, exactly. And even that you gotta, you gotta go further, right? right. Because then there's, then you can make an argument that it's not still not urban fantasy. It could be suspense or a ghost story. So yeah, for sure. There are definitely landmines out there. And and the best way you can get around those is to read in the genre. Because if you, if you've never read urban fantasy and you sit down to write an urban fantasy, of course you're going to step on a few and, and readers will know it and they'll see right through it. Another important thing to, to understand too, is to understand how to visualize the different elements of your story on the cover. So by understanding the type of paranormal your character is, um, where it takes place, that sort of thing, and, and putting that very clearly on the cover, that can also help you att- attract the, the right type of readers, but also repel the readers that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to buy your book, right? Cause, cause if I wrote a book about dragons, I, I probably don't want to attract those people that are like super like particular about how they like their dragons because it's a fantastical creature. Their dragons have never existed. <laughs> so I don't, I don't necessarily yeah. want somebody to hold me to that. That's probably, that's probably somebody that reads in a very specific fantasy subgenre. 
that's not necessarily somebody you want to target. So a lot of it comes down to targeting too, making sure you know who your audience is. And the only way you do that is by reading a lot of urban fantasy and, and, and listening to what they're saying about the stories that they love. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Dresden files a few minutes ago, and I think that's a, a great example of um, Harry Dresden is a wizard. Uh, I think he would consider himself a wizard first and foremost. He's listed in the yellow pages and yep. for for listeners who remember what the yellow pages were. It was a book with people's phone numbers in it, um, but he was listed as professional wizard in the phone book, which, which is just hilarious. But he winds up being a detective uh, in mystery stories and which, uh, you know, is uh, is a bit of misdirection in the beginning for the reader um, because we're expecting a wizard to do wizard things. And he's actually a gumshoe detective when it's all over with. Um, Do you find that there are certain um, character types or archetypes, if you will, that that be that have particular character traits that work better in stories like like a wizard who's a detective um are, are there maybe seemingly disparate things that that sort of line up and and connect better with characters i think there's any infinite number of combinations that you could make i don't necessarily know that just if you sit down tomorrow and write a wizard, you know, detective story that it's yeah. going to be successful just because it's a wizard detective story. I think there's a lot of Dresden knockoffs. And so sure. readers probably would be put off by that. I think the, the the most important thing you can do is just make sure you understand who that character is. Make sure you can convey that succinctly and then write a really good story and, and, and put a really good character in it. And I think you'd be surprised at, at what you can get away with. That said, I, I will say that there is a, there is, I wouldn't call it a preference, but there are a lot of detective urban fantasy novels and series. So there's, th- that's a, that's a very unique type of urban fantasy. Yeah. Right. So if I, so, so my good necromancer series, that is not a mystery series. So I can market it to Dresden file readers, but the only reason I really market it to Dresden file readers is because the main character is a male and males right. are kind of minority in urban fantasy. So if you read stories with males in it, you probably are more likely to read another story with a male yeah. in it. Um, but if I, magic. yeah, and there's magic, but if, but if I wanted to market that book, I would have to be very careful how I market the book to Dresden readers because it is not a mystery. So if you go into that book thinking that it's a mystery, I haven't done my job. Right. right. So there's a lot of different flavors and subgenres of urban fantasy that you also have to think about. There's mythological urban fantasy, there's detective urban fantasy, there's dark urban fantasy. I mean, you can, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of flavors of it. And so being aware of that will also help you avoid those landmines. Yeah. When, uh, when we pick up a, a book, uh, potentially a, a new series as readers, we, we want to, uh, we want to find a character that we can especially connect with and that we want to follow along for this ride and and for future rides to come. Um, so as a writer, when you start thinking about a new character, do you think about the the growth arc of this character or or the the adventure arc of this character? And then how do you start thinking about future arcs for this character? Um <laughs> 
you know, when, when you think about like the, the, the good necromancer, um, how do you give him a satisfying uh, adventure in this book and leave room for new ones to come? If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I, I like to think small when it comes to my characters and I, I, it makes me a little bit different than other people, but I like to think small. I don't think about arcs. Yeah. Okay. I don't think, I don't think about a character in chapter one. How do I want them to be a better person by the time they get to chapter 30? And then right. by the time they get to chapter 30 in book seven, how are they a really much, uh, you know, a, a way better person? I just don't think like that. I, I think about the immediate problem that the character has and I show how they deal with that. And do they learn from that or they don't learn from it? And by the, by the time you get to the book, you've just been on an adventure with the person. I like to think about reading as you've got the character in the driver's seat and they're telling the reader a story who's sitting in the passenger seat and you don't necessarily know what's going to happen on, on a road trip. You know, you, you might run over a pothole, you might get a flat tire and the things that they're going to remember are, is the time that they spent with that character. So while that character's changing the flat tire, how did they react to it? Right. So I, that's how I think about it. And you, you put enough of those moments in your stories and it becomes an arc. But I, I don't I don't sit down, sit down and intentionally try to do it for the same reason. I don't sit down and intentionally try to say, all right, I've got this friend and he lives next door. And by the end of next year, I want our relationship to be at this level. Sure. You know, you know, because a, a lot of human, human human interaction and psychology, all that happens spontaneously. And right. You don't plan for it. And so I, I guess it's my, my unique philosophy. It's not I'm not saying it's the right philosophy or the philosophy yeah. that other people should follow. But my philosophy is that say la vie, what happens happens. And let's, uh, let's, let's throw some stuff at the character and see how they deal with it. By the same token that that would be weird with an interpersonal relationship. If you met someone and, you know, I, this person is going to be a great friend. And in three years from now, we will have, you know, we will have ticked all of the boxes on exactly. our personal friendship checklist. Um, that would be kind of weird. Um, by the same token, when you're writing um, this character in this series, does it ever get to a point um, where you look back and and think, OK, I've done all that I can do with this character and it, it's time to to retire him or her and go on to something new? Do, do you think about series and character growth in those terms at all? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first few series I wrote, I wrote those series with a very limited, limited idea of what would happen. So once the story was done, I knew that the characters were done. And lately I've started to write series where the character has a lot more potential than just what's in the first few books. And so I try to engineer my series so that they can technically go on forever. And that's great because if lightning strikes one day and I get a series that does amazingly well, oh boy, yeah. it's going to do a lot better if I got 20, 25 books, you know, or I right. can go on forever. And so I try to think about, I, I try to think about the character and, and the team around them and how I could sustain this forever if I wanted to. But then if I ever do want to cut it off, I can write that novel that will wrap up everything and, and kind of be a swan song for them and end on that note. So it, it's, it, it gives me some flexibility. It's, it's better to do it that way than to do it the other way around and then wrap up a story and then realize, oh, I think I, I do want to continue telling the story 
and then you kind of kind of have to do some singing and dancing to figure out right how to jump through hoops and 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 make it work i've seen some some authors do that and just kind of kind of falls a little flat so better to start wide and then you've got the option to stand wide if you want to in your 80 book catalog um has there ever been a character that that you um just thought was just the best thing that you could ever create and and if so um when that character series was over or maybe it's the one you're currently writing um was there a grieving process for leaving that character no i don't have a grieving process i mean when i'm done with my novels i forget them (laughs) you know i like i can tell you what it's about yeah. And I, you know, I, I can remember the names of them and I can probably maybe remember like the first chapter or something like that. I, I don't remember my not. It's, it's criminal. If, 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 if it was a law that says you have to remember what happens in your books, I would go to jail. So I, when I finish a story and I finish a series, I'm done with it. I actually celebrate. I think it's, it's, it's an amazing thing that you created a product that stands on its own and that Absolutely. people can buy and consume and they get everything. Cause how many times have people been burned? from starting a series and then the author dies in the middle of it, or they give up and don't want to finish it. I think that's a thing to be celebrated and to be really, really proud of TV deal. And yeah, exactly. We all all know who we're talking about here. (laughs) 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 Yes. That's what you don't want to do to your writers. Right. And so uh, I I find it, I find it fun and exciting. And I, I, I'm really proud of, of what I've accomplished. And if anything, um, that's how I feel. I, I never really feel any grief uh, for being done with a series. I'm always excited about the next book. You yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the last probably five or six chapters of this current book I'm writing. I'm already thinking about the next series I'm going to start. So that's where I like to be. I always like to be in the land of the next story. That tends to be the healthiest way to approach it for me. I love it. Michael, this has been the the fastest hour of just about any podcast that we've done so far. Um, tell, tell people again what your current series is and what you've got coming up next. Yes, my current series is the Good Necromancer series. You can find that at michaellaron.com slash the good necromancer or book one is Shadow Deal. So michaellaron.com slash shadow deal. Next up, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to write yet. Um, it probably will be an urban fantasy with mythology. I'm playing around with a little bit of African mythology. So I think that could be kind of a fun thing, but uh, I haven't don't have it set in stone yet, but uh, I'll, I'll figure that out over the next few weeks. That's going to be fantastic. Michael, thank you so much for joining me here in the Storycraft Cafe today. Thanks, Hank. Thank you to Michael Laron for joining us and for sharing some of his storytelling wisdom with us. Be sure to join us over at storycraft.cafe where there's stuff going on daily to encourage you and empower you in your writing life. Next week, we have several live events. So be sure to go over, get an account, sign up, join in the conversation, look in upcoming events. I promise there's something for everyone. And we'll see you next week on the podcast.